right, I'm ready for, uh, to give you the message that God has put on my heart this morning. As we're kind of winding down, we've been in this message series called The Author of Life. And throughout this message series, what we're doing is we're going through the book of John. Uh, John talks about there being seven signs. A sign is, uh, is, is a miracle that Jesus did that points to something. When you think about signs, signs give direction. They inform you about something, somewhere, someone. And so each sign that we've gone through points to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, points to a characteristic about God that is important for us to understand. And I hope this message series has been as much of a blessing to you as it, as it has been to me. Actually, God has really used it in my life to stir my faith and to open my eyes to, to dream bigger, to think bigger, to uh, ask God for bigger things. Uh, how many of you know, oftentimes our vision is limited to how big we see our God? I think it was A.W. Tozer that said that. He's one of my heroes. And sometimes I think we can limit what God can do in and through our lives because we don't have big enough vision for our life. And so today, we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, where we're going to see this, this man who was born blind, and Jesus heals him. Now, this is a unique miracle in that no one up to this point in the history of the world had ever been healed of blindness from birth. And it's, it's actually a really, really big deal. In fact, I, I don't want to, I want to, I want to show you, I don't want to dismiss, I think sometimes when we read some of these miracles and healings that Jesus did, we go, oh yeah, it's, you know, another healing. Jesus is awesome. I get it. No, I don't know that we really do. Like the power that Jesus operated in and the healing that he brought to people was like no other. And so I want to, um, I want to share with you, there's an optometrist named Dr. John Stevens, and he talks a little bit about how Jesus didn't just do a miracle, he actually did a creative miracle, and, and why that is. Okay, listen to this. The retina, I'm going to give you a little, for all you nerds and geeks this morning, you love facts, but you're going to love this. The retina is sitting at the back of your eye, the thing that gives you the evil red eye in pictures, that's it. That's your retina. It conducts close to 10 billion calculations every second. And that's before an image even travels through the optic nerve to the visual cortex. Dr. John Stevens put it this way. To stimulate 10 milliseconds of the complete processing of even a single nerve cell from the retina would require about 500 stimulus, nonlinear, differentiational equations 100 times and would at least at least several minutes of processing on a Cray supercomputer. Think about that for a minute. And maybe you're here and you're wondering, like, is God real? Does he exist? Was there a bang and everything just created? When I think about what Jesus did, how God created us, the complexity, even our eyesight. Eyesight is something that many of us, we take for granted. We just see until you don't see. And, and, and this is just amazing to me that uh, keeping in mind, listen to this, that there are more than 10 million cells interacting with each other in complex ways. It would take a minimum of 100 years of a Cray computer, supercomputer, time to simulate what takes place in your eye every second. 
Blindness is the most difficult because of how complex the human eye is. But the sixth miracle is in a category all by itself. Jesus doesn't just heal a guy who got blind somewhere along the way. He heals a man born blind. And here's the significance of this. There was, there was no synaptic connection between the optic nerve and the visual cortex in this man's brain. Simply put, if the nerves from the eye to the brain are a road, this road wasn't just damaged or sketchy. This road was straight up non-existent. This is a creative miracle. This healing miracle wasn't simple. Jesus creates a new synaptic pathway that didn't exist before. And I believe for many of us, we, we weren't born blind. Physically, we have our sight. But if we're not careful, like we're going to hear today through exploring this scripture, many of us can lose our sight spiritually. We can become spiritually blind to the things that God is doing in our life, the things that he wants to do, and the vision that he has for your life. And so I want to unpack this story for us a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, I'm going to read to you out of the New Living Translation, starting in verse 1, going to verse 11. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, when I, I read this in the first um, service, and it hit me, because as I was coming down, part of my routine in the morning uh, before church, before all of you get here, I hope you know that we gather together and we pray for you. You've been prayed for, and we believe that every person here, every person joining us online, even those who are going to join us watching this later online, that God has a plan and he has a purpose for you being here this morning. You understand that, right? And it's not a coincidence that you're here today. But I, I was coming down the stairs. I go up to the loft. We go over my slides and all that and give them some high fives. Thanks. Thank the team. By the way, thank you guys. You always do such an amazing job. And I'm so grateful for you. I always tell them, I tell them. We're preaching this message together because as I'm preaching, they're putting up the scriptures for you. They're putting up the points for you. And this is a partnership. But I was coming down the stairs and there were three of our intercessors. And if you're not familiar with that term, an intercessor is somebody that prays on behalf of somebody else. They stand in between you and God and they pray for you. And every Saturday morning, we have a group of people that come and they pray over you here. In fact, I love when I come up, sometimes there'll be anointing oil, there'll be a cross on the stage when I come up on the stage. And it reminds me, thank you, Lord, I've been prayed over. I'm anointed to bring the word of God. And God has something unique and special. The anointing is, is only what God can do. I can prepare. I can, I can do what only I can do but there's some things that only God can do. That's the difference between the anointing and just talent or gifting, right? And so I never want to lean on gifting. I want to lean into the anointing because it's the power of God that breaks the yoke, right? And so I thank God for the anointing that he has um, to preach the word and it isn't just relegated to me. Uh, worship was anointed this morning, amen? So I'm thankful for that. But as I came down the stairs, some of our intercessors were praying. And I, it reminded me of a time when they shared with me, because sometimes God will show them some things. And they said, I saw a vision of Jesus walking up and down the aisles as you were preaching. And he was going by and he was touching some of the people. And as I was reading this, as Jesus was walking along, it hit me 
that right now, while you're sitting here, Jesus is here. His presence is here. He's walking amongst us right now. And I believe that he wants to touch some of your hearts and open up your eyes this morning to see him more clearly and his plan and his purpose for your life. Amen? Amen. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God may be seen in him. And we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here and in the world, I am the light of the world. Thank God for that in this dark time we're living in. In verse 6, and then he spit on the ground. Now, this is an unusual miracle of Jesus. There's another time it's a little worse. He spits directly in the, in the blind man's eye. Okay? So this is, you know, maybe a little bit better, a little bit gross. But hey, it's Jesus spit. So it's probably holy. It's probably sanctified. It's like holy Purell in, your, in his eyes, right? And, and he's making mud. And so he spits on the ground, makes mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. And his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. He's a doppelganger. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked him, well, who healed you? And what happened to you? And he told them, the man they called Jesus. He made mud, spread it over my eyes, and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I see. I went, I washed, and now I see. The title of my message to you this morning is, Now I See. Later on in this chapter, when some of the Pharisees who didn't like the fact that, that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, that if you've, you've noticed a trend by now, that Jesus likes to do things on the Sabbath just to ruffle the feathers of the religious people. And uh, I love that Jesus is always, you know, just ruffling the feathers of the religious, and he'll do that to us too. I thank, I thank God that he's faithful and he'll use people. And, and at times, maybe I'm that, that thing that ruffles your religious feathers. But I thank God that he doesn't leave us in our relig religiosity, but he invites us into a relationship with him. Amen? And so I want to I pray just for the message real quick. But I want to pray that the eyes of your heart are open to receive what God has for you. So quickly, would you just put your hand on your heart? Father, I thank you for this little time that we have together. I pray that you would do what only you can do. Right now, we put away all of our thoughts and we give this time to you. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to receive everything that you have for us today. I pray that you would anoint my words. This is your microphone. This is your service. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Now I see. Later on, when he's, he's getting heckled by this religious folk, um, and they're like, you know, they're grilling this guy. They're like, hey, who, who healed you on the Sabbath? And who's this guy who did it? And the guy doesn't even know because Jesus sends him while he's still blind to go wash in the pool. 
And then Jesus isn't around when he regains his sight. So, so he doesn't know who healed him. He only knows his voice. We'll get to that in a minute. And, um, and so they're heckling him. Hey, you know, you got healed on the Sabbath. Who did this? You know, and they just had tried to kill Jesus uh, just the chapter before. And so Jesus escaped them trying to throw him off a cliff. And now Jesus is, is passing by this, this blind man. He gets healed. And after them grilling this guy, you know, and even going to his parents and saying, hey, you know, was this guy really born blind? They're thinking this is a sham. You know, Jesus is trying to pull one over on us. And, and he gets tired of their grilling. I love this. This is the guy who gets healed. He says, hey, he says, nobody has ever been able to heal somebody born blind before. He's like, I don't know where there is, fellow. You should know where he's come from. If he healed somebody that was born blind, you're the ones who should know where he's come from. He's like, I don't know what to tell you, but here's what I can tell you. I was once blind, but now I see. Now I see. And it's a beautiful picture. And so there's a couple of things that I believe that we can see in this passage of Scripture that God wants us to see in order for him to be able to reveal his plan and purpose. I love that last week Pastor Bob brought an amazing message and he tied together our message series, Author of Life. What a beautiful message. And he used that Scripture, one of my life verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. The Greek word is poema. It's where we get the word poem from. It's this beautiful, God is trying to write a beautiful love story of your life. And yet, here's the problem. For many of us, we don't see it. We, we, we believe God has a plan and purpose for my life, but I don't, I don't see what God is doing. I don't know what he wants for my life. If there's a question that I consistently get asked by, by people who are really trying to follow wholeheartedly Jesus, is that, I, yeah, I believe God has a plan and purpose for my life. What is it? I don't know. I don't see it. I don't know what God is trying to do. And so there's a couple things that I believe that we can see through this passage. And the first thing is this. You have to see that Jesus sees you. It says that Jesus was passing by. And now, mind you, there was crowds. A lot of people called them multitudes. There was crowds. By now, Jesus was flocked with crowds. You could hardly get to him. Thus, the woman with the issue of blood had to fight through the crowd. There was crowds surrounding Jesus. Now, Jesus is, is in this mob, and he's passing by this blind man. But there's something that, that tugs in his heart, that, that he has compassion on this man, and he stops long enough to see him in the condition that he's in. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about being seen these days. And, and really, it's a metaphor for, for being, being seen is like, you know, somebody cares. Somebody sees me for who I really am, what I'm going through. And, and that's, that's the problem in our social media world. Everybody's trying to be seen. In fact, I was, um, I was reading this article in the newspaper uh, because this is a real problem for young people. Because they feel like if I'm not on social media, if I'm not doing something spectacular with my life, if, if I'm not doing something to get other people's attention, how am I going to be seen in this world where everybody is competing to be seen, right? And so this, this young man, he just graduated high school. It's a really sad story. And they went on a cruise with their family and friends, and they dare this young man to jump off the cruise ship. And for the sake of being seen and get it on video, he jumps off the cruise ship and dies, drowns. 
and his family and friends are just distraught. And, 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 and man, I could tell you countless stories of people who, because they, get, they feel this need that I have to be seen and, and understood, they're doing all kinds of crazy things just for people to see him. But, but I want you to get the heart of God here because the disciples were more worried about a theological debate than they were about this man's condition. They said to Jesus, Jesus, not, hey, how can we help this man? And we have to be careful in the church that we don't get it, fall into the same trap, that we could get so wrapped around the axles about our theological differences that we forget that right outside our door are people that are lost. And Jesus said, I came to save and seek those who are lost. And the disciples want to get in a theological debate and say, hey, Jesus, is it because of this man's sin or, or his parents' sin that, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Listen, neither. Let's not worry about that, but let's just worry about the fact that this man is, is in a condition and a state and has been in a state for, for years since he was born that he can't see, and my heart goes out to him. And what you have to understand and what you have to be able to see is that Jesus sees you. He sees you. He knows what you came in with this morning. He knows what you're going through right now. My Bible says that he, he comes close to the brokenhearted. That Jesus sees you. He's seen everything in your life. He knows what you've been through. Psalm 139, 16 says this. He says, you saw me. This is David talking to the Lord, writing this out as a poem. He, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus not only sees you, but he knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And I thank God. I thank God as a 19-year-old as a broken young man who had no vision for my life. I was wandering around in life, grasping at things that I thought would make me happy, right? Because, I mean, life is all about happiness and the pursuit of happiness, right? Isn't that what this is about? But it was empty. The drugs, the alcohol, the sex, all of it, it's empty. It left me feeling empty. I had no vision for my life. And I thank God that God saw me in my condition. I thank God that he sees you in your condition and his heart is drawn to you because he loves you that much and he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And I believe he put this word in my heart this morning for some of you that came in and thought, maybe God has forgotten about me. I haven't seen him. I haven't heard him. I haven't felt him. And I don't know where he is in my life. And let me tell you, you may not see him. You may not feel him, but God sees you. And he knows you. He knows you. Yeah, come on, clap for that. Don't be shy. This is Hope Church, right? As Jesus was walking along, he saw the man who was born blind from birth. The second thing that we can see through this is that he was sent before he saw. Think about that for a minute. Now, sometimes we read the Bible and we skim over things or we go through them quickly and we don't put two and two together. We don't think about it. We don't put ourselves in the story. I want to challenge you as you're reading the Bible to put yourself in the story. Put yourself in this man. Now, this man, he doesn't know who Jesus is, 
But this guy spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, and goes tell him to cleanse himself in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. He sends him to go to the pool before he can see. <laughs> Let me say that again. He sends him before he can see. This is a blind man trying to make his way. Now, I've been to Jerusalem, and I can tell you that the Pool of Siloam is one of many ceremonial cleansing pools. And, and what, what, the, um, what the Jewish people would do is before Sabbath, which was considered a holy day, or before a, one of the feasts that were instituted by the Lord, or just to wash the sin off them. They would go to these ceremonial pools, and it was a lot like baptism. They would go into the pool, and they would wash themselves in the pool, and it was a symbolic cleansing, and it would, what it would do, it would take off any debris of sin. It would take off any debris of their past, anything they went through, walked through, a fence that they had picked up during the week, the bad week, whatever it, it, they went through, they would cleanse themselves, and it, it symbolized that they were washing off their sin, they were washing off the dirt that they had got on them the following week, or that week, rather. And so think about this. This man is blind, and Jesus tells him, now go walk to the pool and cleanse yourself. Wait, what? Can you restore my sight first, Jesus? Like, let's, let's get the order right here. Give me sight so that I can make it to the pool. But this man doesn't ask Jesus to do that. He just listens and obeys. Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He doesn't see Jesus. He hears his word and he obeys the word that God speaks to him. And because he obeys the word that God speaks to him, even though he doesn't see it. That's why I love that. I love that worship song Waymaker. Even though I don't see it. He's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. I believe with every step that blind man took, and mind you, he had a grope against the wall. He probably had to feel his way down all the steps. It, it, it's a beautiful picture of our faith walk and journey with God. Now, some of us, you might feel like you're stumbling through your faith, but let me tell you something. If you will trust God and obey his voice and obey his word, he's leading you, he's guiding you, his Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's, he's telling you which way to go, to the left or to the right. I love that the, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the word for Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. It means one who comes to one's aid. One who's by your side. And even though I don't see sometimes what God is doing, I know I am standing in faith on the very word of God, knowing that God is moving even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel him. I know that God is moving. I know that he is with me. And I know that he sees me. And I know that he loves me. And that's enough to go on. You heard uh, Mary Terrell um, my beautiful wife, she preached an amazing message on Mother's Day, and she shared with you our, our journey of faith. Really, when we uh, graduated college, uh, I had a plan for my life. I, I, I felt like I knew what God wanted me to do. I was excited about that plan. I was graduating. I was going to go on. I graduated cum laude. I was student teaching my senior year in the psychology department. I was going to be a Christian counselor. Uh, I was going to go on and get my master's PhD. I had my life. I saw my life in front of me. And my senior year, I was asked to be the chaplain of our fraternity. It was a Christian fraternity, mind you, but you still had some guys that thought it was like, you know, Alpha Chi partying it up and, you know, doing beer keg 
funnels and crazy stuff like that. But what I had to do is we had a meeting once a week. And as part of my role as chaplain, I had to, I had to give a devotional at the beginning of the meeting. And I took this real, real serious, you know. I would pray and fast on Tuesdays, and I would really just seek the Lord, God, what do you want to say to the guys? And what do you want to give me to encourage them? And he would always be faithful to give me something to them. But I, I started coming to those meetings and sharing what the Lord put in my heart, and God started moving in those meetings. And the devotional time went, it was supposed to be 10 minutes, God started moving, and guys started repenting and surrendering their lives to Jesus. And this is out of Christian school, and this is going back like over 20 years, right? And, and so I remember there was one, one time where God moved in particularly strong in that service, and we had to have a chaperone who had to be on the faculty of the college. And it happened to be the head of the pastoral department. And so he comes up to me after the service, and he taps me on the shoulder, and I say, hey. He says, uh, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? I said, no. He says, you should. And he tapped me on the shoulder and walked out. I'm like, that's it? Thanks, bro. <laughs> like, right? Um, but I, I felt like it began, it planted a seed in my spirit that the Lord wanted me to, me to hear. And I started sensing that maybe God had a different plan for me, but I wasn't sure what that plan was. I didn't see it. So my wife and I, we, we committed to pray for three months, and we asked our pastors at the time if, if they would go out to lunch with us after a service like this, a Sunday service, and they said yes. And so we sit down at the table, and, and they said, hey, before we talk about what God is doing in your life, let us show you what God is doing. And they break out a, a picture book. That was when, you know, you had picture books for everybody that's under 30 or whatever. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But you actually had to print pictures and put them in a little thing. Yeah. That's what that was. And they start showing him pictures of Proctor, Montana, and how the Lord gave them this word to keep the seed in the barn. And that meant like to invest in young people. And, and I'm just like listening to them. And I'm thinking, and then we share with them and everything. And we have our time with them. We're leaving the restaurant. And I'm about to get in the car. And I look at, we, we say goodbye to our pastor. I look at my wife. I say, you thinking what I'm thinking? She goes, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no. You heard, there's a couple things she said she would never do. She would never move out west, and she'd never become a pastor's wife. And so, be careful, moral of the story is be careful what you tell God you will never do. I said, can we at least pray about it? So, okay, well, we can, we can do that. I can do that. We can pray about it. Prayed for it for three months. It was in a worship service just like this earlier. And I felt like in the middle of the worship service, the Lord said to me, you're supposed to go to Montana. I said, God, I don't even know where Montana is. I thought that was named after a football player. Like, just like, did Joe Montana name the state? I have no idea. But, but I never seen pictures of it. I had to like Google it. And that was before Google. That was when it took like 10 minutes when the, you know, the dial up connection, ding, ding, ding. You hear all this stuff. And it took like five minutes for one webpage to come up. Y'all don't know how good you have it. <laughs> Try going through college like that when you actually had to go to a library. And know the bibliotech, all that stuff. Anyway, um, crazy. I couldn't see it. God, why would you have me move to Montana? I'm a city guy. Grew up in Yonkers. I, I, I don't know how to rope cows. I don't know. You know, that's, what, that's where your mind goes. You, you think of Montana. That's what I thought of Montana. And I thought land here would be really cheap. Boy, was I wrong. Um, all this stuff. But I had no idea why God would. I couldn't see it. But I had to obey in faith, 
trusting that God saw it and he saw me and he saw Mary Terrell and he saw the plan and purpose that he had for our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we live by faith, not by sight. And if you're trying to get through life by what you can see naturally with your eyes and you're not living by faith in what you can't see with your natural eyes, but with your spirit that you know because God gave you a word. This man couldn't see his healing. He couldn't see yet, but he had a word from God. Now faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus spoke a word to him. And let me tell you something. If you will obey in faith, even when you can't see it, the word that God speaks to you, there are some miracles that I believe that God has in front of you. There's, there, is, there are some things God wants to write a beautiful story. There are some things that can turn around in your life. If you will allow, if you will first go, even though you can't see. The second thing he did is this. He washed before he saw. He not only, he not only was sent and went before he saw, he had to wash before he saw. Now, now, Jesus told him, uh, listen to this. Now, later on down in the chapter, because here, I really think this is the heart of, of what I want to talk to us about this morning, because I think this is where a lot of us, this is where a lot of us get stuck spiritually, is that we don't see God clearly. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing and what I hear him saying. And Jesus modeled for us as Christians Christians are Christ-like. We're supposed to be Christ followers. Jesus was our model. And, and so Jesus modeled for us how to live by faith, is that I, I do what I hear God say, and I do what I see him doing. But this is, this is a problem because for a lot of us, we don't see what God is doing. And we don't see him working or moving in our life. And so what happens is, um, I love what Craig Rochelle says. He, he said, everybody's going somewhere. He said, but a few people go somewhere on purpose. And so for a lot of us, we can end up like this beggar, this blind beggar, where we get into this mode of just living for the day. Like this, this man had to beg. In other words, he was in a position where he was dependent on whatever life gave him. When you have no vision for your life, that's how you end up living. You end up living with whatever life throws at you, whatever life sends your way, instead of living with a sense of purpose every day that when you get up in the morning, no, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for my life. I know what it is, and I'm walking in it. And yeah, things may come up and, and try to derail that plan and purpose. Jesus never promised that it would be candy land and roses. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So sometimes when we think we're, we get opposition to the plan and purpose that God has for us, oh, this must not be God's will. Well, I beg to differ. I, in fact, I would go so far to say is, is that if you're getting opposition, that may be the best indication that you're onto something, that you're on the path that God has you on. Because let me tell you, you don't get anywhere without going through some adversity. Because there's something that in the grind sometimes that God wants to build a holy grit inside of you. Let me tell you how many times that I was talking to somebody in the lobby before service uh, about, uh, it was red. It was red. I was talking to Greg. By the way, these two people right here, if you don't know them, you need to get to know them. Rhett and Don Griffin. Long, 
still mad at you. You left our church. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> amazing, amazing people were part of this church and this house for a long time and uh, just inspire me. Their love for people pouring out into our community here. Rhett with our men and his love for barbecue. Love you, man. Love you. Now he's making barbecue sauces. You could go, you should go buy some of them. They're really good. Um, but this man, he not only had to be sent before he saw, he had to wash before he saw. And I think the problem is, that just like Jesus sent him to go wash the mud off his eyes, I think it represents that all of us in the room, we may not be physically blind, but we have blind spots. We have things that we don't see about ourselves. In fact, we don't see right. Social psychologists would call this a cognitive bias. It's when uh, we allow things in life to change the lens from which we perceive the world. And I'm going to give you a couple of those in a minute, but, but Jesus would speak into this later down in chapter 9 when he was talking to some of the Pharisees. And he would say this, John 9, 39, he said, Then Jesus told them, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. It kind of goes right along with Proverbs 29, 18, which says this, and I like the King James Version. It said, where there is no vision, people perish. But happy is he that keeps the law. Now, you might think the law, oh, that's, you know, the Ten Commandments, whatever. No, the law is the word of God. So think about that. When you stop obeying in faith the word of God, you start losing vision for your life. In fact, when people say, I don't know what God is doing, what I'll tell you is, what's the last thing you heard him say to you? Go back to that because oftentimes we didn't obey God at one point in our life and we tried to move on. And so God stopped moving in our life and it wasn't God that stopped moving, it was you. You got to go back and obey the last thing that you heard God tell you to do. And when you do that, he will light your path for the next step and the next step. See, he doesn't give you the whole enchilada. He doesn't show you the, the whole road. But the word says, thy word is like a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So his word will light up the next step that you're supposed to take. You're only responsible for the next step. So young people, don't get overwhelmed with your life. What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to marry? What kind of career am I going to have? What cause am I going to Just do what God is telling you to do now. And when you do that, he'll tell you what to do next. That's how I've gotten here. That's the only way I know how to do it. I'm not that smart. I love what Helen Keller says. She says, the only thing worse than being blind is sight with no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is sight with no vision. But here's the thing. We don't see things as they really are. We see things as we are. So social psychologists would call this cognitive biases. We see things from a lens from which we've experienced life. And so there's some things that make us spiritually blind. I want to go through them very quickly. And this was intentional. Um, I don't have a lot of time to unpack it because this could be a whole other message in itself. But I want to give you some things that I believe can make us spiritually blind to where we can't see. The first one is this, sin. Sin. The reason the disciples asked Jesus, was it this man's sin or his parents? that put them in this condition of blindness is because they understood the seriousness of sin. I actually think we don't, 
We don't preach about it, teach about it enough. We don't talk about it enough in the church because we don't want to offend people. And, and I'm sorry if I offend you. That's never my intention. That's not my heart. But I love you enough to speak the truth of the word of God. And I can't back off what the Bible says. I have to stand in the truth because that's the real way I'm going to love you. But let me tell you, there is a destructive nature of sin. sin. There is nothing that will change the story of your life or alter the story of your life in a negative way than sin. Sin will take your story out. Sin will corrupt your story. It will send you on a detour. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. There was, there was a season in my life, probably the darkest time of my, my spiritual journey post having been saved. After my wife and I moved out here, about four years later, the church that we came to be a part of, that I was doing some youth ministry work and, and everything, it grew, but it kind of changed. And, and the theology changed a little bit. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't aligning with what I saw in scripture, what I believed to be a good doctrinal foundation. And, and I wrestled with that because I was like, God, this is, you brought us here, moved me all the way across the country to be a part of this. How can, how can I, if I leave this, it's over, is the story done? But yet I knew we couldn't stay. And so my wife and I, we left that church and it was one of the hardest seasons of my life because I honestly, I got offended at God. I was mad. Like God, you, you took us away from our family, our friends. You took me away from the future that I could see to now I don't see what you're doing. I don't know why you brought me here. And so what happens is when you lose sight of the vision that God has for your life, you do what the Bible says, you cast off restraint. That word means you literally, um, it's like a ship, you, you toss the rudder. And, and in doing so, your sails up and you just go wherever the wind takes you. You do whatever you want with your life because, well, why not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Like, what else am I living for? So you start following your own ideas of what you should do with your life, which oftentimes gets you in trouble. And it started getting me in trouble. I started dabbling in sin and it was starting to lead me down this dark path. And I was not in a good place spiritually. And I got, I'm in my office one day, I get a phone call and this lady who was a spiritual mother to MT and I, before we got married, her name was Sandra Risley amazing woman of God, her and her husband Floyd. I actually lived with them before we got married and I get a phone call. I hadn't talked to her for, I don't know, maybe five years or something like that. And I get a phone call and says, hi Lance, it's, it's Sandra. I said, oh my gosh, Sandra, it's so good to hear from you. What's going on? She said, I was, I was praying for you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You're probably at work, but I was praying for you and I got this vision of you and you were in this airplane and you were flying the airplane, but you had put it on autopilot and there was nobody in the co-pilot seat with you and you were kicking back. But what you didn't realize is the nose of the plane was a little bit down and, and it was slowly heading to a crash, but you didn't even feel it because it was so subtle and slight. And she said that 
that's what I got. I said, I don't know if that ministers to you or God speaks to you through it, but I just had to share that with you. And I said, thank you so much. Hung up the phone. I got on my knees because I knew right away God was speaking to me that I was dabbling in sin. And the sin comes subtly and slowly and you don't realize it, but you are headed for a crash. And God used that godly woman to remind me that not only did I need to grab a hold of that and pull out of that, but I needed godly men and women that I allowed to be co-pilots in my life, to speak into my life. That's why, that's why you're gonna hear a lot about connect groups here. That's why you're gonna hear a lot about razor groups for men. Because we need other men to surround us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And if you're going to get sharpened, you need to get close enough to people that they see your blind spots. Because we all have them. There's things that we don't see. Second thing is this, I'm gonna go through these real quick, is pride. Pride. These Pharisees, they had so much pride. Jesus was messing with their life. And, and they just had so much pride. Listen, the origin of sin is pride. It is saying, God, I can make decisions for my life, what I think is best for my life. I don't need you, thank you. When I need you and I'm in trouble, then I'll pray and come to you and call you Lord of my life and I'll come to church. But, but until I need you, I got this. I'm good. That's pride. Pride is saying, God, I, I don't need you. The third thing is this, offense and unforgiveness. This is a big one. When we get offended by somebody, especially in the church, if you're offended by me, you will not be able to receive the word of the Lord. Offense is like a fence that builds a wall up between what God wants to do in your life and you can't see through the fence. You can't see what God is doing. You can't discern what God is speaking because you're offended and, and you have unforgiveness and sometimes bitterness in your heart. And until you forgive and let go of that offense and allow God's spirit and presence to come in and wash you clean of that bitterness and make the water turn the bitter water into clean again. The next thing is this, a negative and critical mindset. And these two things come together. Man, we could just get kind of negative get in bad moods we get in these funks sometimes right where everything is bad and and everything we we become critical we think we know how to do things better we 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 judge people and we look at them critically we think about things critically we think about what's wrong or what's not happening more than what god is doing seeing what god is doing and what is happening right that god is saving people people are getting set free people are getting baptized but I don't like that worship song that you played. And it was too loud in here this morning. But God is moving, but I don't see it. Jesus said, hey, you want to take, take the speck out of your brother's eye, but you can't because you got this big old fat log coming out of your eye and it's blinding you. The next thing is religion. Religion will just make you cold and it will harden your heart because you, you're going through the motions of, of Christianity, but it's religious activity instead of relationship. Do you know that everything we do isn't just for the sake of doing it, it's for connecting you to the heart of God. Every time you read the Bible, it isn't for the sake of reading the Bible, it is for you having an encounter with the living God. 
The Word is alive. It's active. John says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Every time you read the Word of God, you're actually breathing in the presence of Jesus because He is the Word, and it's alive. The next one is pain and disappointment. It's a doozy. And I feel this in the room. I feel that some of you, you've had a lot of pain, trauma in your life, and you've had some disappointments. But can I tell you, don't let your disappointment rob you of the appointment that God has for you. God has appointed you. The last thing is this, the love of the world. I wanna ask you a question, what are you feeding on? If you're feeding on Reels and TikTok and media and CNN and Fox News and all these things more than you're feeding on the Word of God, guess what? Your perspective is skewed. You're biased because you're not getting the truth. You're getting propaganda. You're getting what the culture in this world wants you to get, what they want you to believe, and it changes. It gives you a secular worldview instead of a biblical worldview. You're not seeing the world as God sees the world. You're seeing the world through other people's lenses and what they want you to see. What are you feeding on? First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And I want to close with this. I want to go back just for a second to that pain and disappointment. All these things that I just mentioned, they can become like mud on our eyes that don't, doesn't get washed off. If this man doesn't go wash off the mud, he doesn't see. The miracle doesn't happen. And sometimes Jesus is trying to show us, listen, you got mud on your eyes. There's things that are blinding you from seeing my plan, my purpose, the vision that I have for your life, but you can't see it. Now Jesus came and encountered the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He was going his way. He was doing what he thought he was doing right with his life persecuting Christians and he's on his way to Damascus and he sees this blinding light that knocks him off his donkey and from that moment on he could hear the voice of God but he can't see anymore he's blinded and look at in Acts chapter 16 or Acts chapter 9 rather verse 17 listen to this because here's how we're going to close because I believe there's some of us that God wants to set free and take off some blinders that are blocking you from being able to see what God is doing in your life. It says, then Ananias, God sent this godly man, Ananias, to the house where Paul was at. Just like Jesus saw this man, he stopped for this man. And just like I believe God sent me to bring you this word. And it said, placing his hands on Saul, God changed his name later to Paul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I believe some of you need to see again. 
I believe some of you, there's some things that are blinding you from seeing things that God is trying to do in your life. So I want to ask you as we close, if you would just close your eyes for a moment, just intentionally not see with your natural eyes. There's some of you that might be here this morning, and I love how Jesus, after after this blind man gets healed later on in the chapter, Jesus would come back to the man because the man doesn't know who it was who healed him. And he comes to the blind man and he says, hey, it's me. Do you believe in the son of man? And he said, sir, I don't know who this is. And it is the one who healed you. He's saying to him, hey, don't you remember and recognize my voice? I'm the one who's been with you. I'm the one who had a plan and purpose for you in your mother's womb, even though you don't know it. But I sent you here today and I'm talking to you right now, somebody in this room. I sent you here today because I want to ask you, will you believe in me? Will you put your faith, hope, and trust in me as your savior? Do you want to continue to walk around life like a blind beggar, just allowing life to throw at you whatever it wants to give you enough, a fish for a day, but just living for the moment, living for the week, living for the month? Or do you want to be healed? Do you want to be able to see? If you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, and you want those scales to fall from your heart so that you can see God, his word could be opened up to you. Just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor Lance, that's me. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, young man. There's a party in heaven going on right now celebrating your decision to surrender your life to Christ. I want to encourage you. We have a prayer team up here. Immediately after service, if you will come up and pray with somebody, they will lead you in a prayer of repentance and forgiveness so that you can know Jesus as you cry, Lord, Christ and Savior. For the rest of us, before we sing this last song, if you're here, God bless you, young man. If you're here today and you feel like when I went through that list, there's some things that God is revealing to you that maybe is hindering your ability to see God. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. Don't let pride get in the way. First service, it was like 75% hands up. I'm raising my hand. Now here's what I wanted to do. If, you, if, you, if that's you, I want you to take that hand now and I want you to put it on your heart. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. In other words, that Jesus, the light of the world, would shine on your heart and it would illuminate you to be able to see him clearly. Father, right now we ask for forgiveness, for letting things come between you and I. Forgive us for allowing things like pride and sin and unforgiveness, critical hearts, bitterness, love of the world to divide our hearts and divide our vision. God, I pray right now for every single person that has their hand on their heart. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you come in power? Would you begin to come and wash away the mud 
the things that are in the way of us being able to see you clearly and the plan and the purpose that you have for our life. In Jesus' name.